Well, welcome to The Exchange Online. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Grace Family Church. And last week, if you didn't see it, you need to go back and watch it. We talked about racism. And really we had a frank discussion about what it looks like in today's society, what's going on, and our response as the church to it. And I know this, it not only happened online, but also happened in groups afterwards. And I'm, I'm thrilled the discussion is happening. Let me just say this, and I've just been alive a little bit longer than some of you and a lot longer than others of you. But seeing this and seeing what's happening go forward, it is something that is getting better. Uh, the response this time was different. The response this time uh, when somebody saw what had happened had changed. So it is something that's getting better, but it's also something that has, and I said this last week, one thing that happens during this time is you find out who's racist. So it started the conversations with people who still just don't understand that racism exists in America. And let me just say this, I've seen this a lot online. I've seen this in Facebook posts and Instagram posts and stuff like that where it says this, if you don't believe in this, then unfollow me. Or if you don't believe in this, then unfriend me. And I want you to understand something. If... If someone is being vile and vicious and poisonous to your life and what they're posting and what they're saying, I understand the need to get, you know, remove them from your friend group. But if someone is not saying anything, if someone has the wrong belief but is watching your posts, wouldn't you want them to watch them? Wouldn't you want them to see those posts? Wouldn't you want to keep the conversation going? Because like I said last week, the true change in people's hearts, the true change in people's minds comes through conversation. Comes through real conversation between two people talking about things that truly, truly matter. You see, there, there, there's so much rhetoric going on right now and there's people saying all kinds of things. And this is what I've seen many times from some of the older generation. And some of you have seen this from your parents. And that's why I want to bring this up is that they say, I don't want to talk about racism or I don't want to deal with racism in America because racism in America is just political. And I've seen this many times and I've seen Christians say, well, I'm not going to talk about it because it's political. Is racism political? No and yes. No, racism at its heart is absolutely a sin that we must talk about as Christians. But yes, it has become political. Like everything becomes political. And you see politicians six months ago who said one thing that are now saying something else because their constituents have decided to take this stand. And we have to be very careful in this time that we make moves and do things that are responsible and not believing that every politician truly is out for our best. So yes, there is a political side, but absolutely it's a sin side. And if you want to go back at this, hey, one of the most political things we talk about in church that is also something that is sin is abortion. It's one of the most political things we talk about. Yet we will continue to talk about it, but you see the Republican Party has literally built their entire stand for the conservative Christian on that idea. I'm not taking any political side. I'm not saying anything there. I'm just saying if we're willing to talk about some things that are political that we know we need to talk about, why can't we talk about race? So we're going to talk about race and continue in that today. And I want you to understand, the reason I'm talking about this right now and the reason we have to continue too is because some of us just don't understand. I have not always understood what I understand now. Absolutely not even close. In fact, I grew up in an incredible, diverse environment. I grew up in South Florida. Uh, my, my school, the population of my school was not 
all white or even close to it. In fact, now that I look back, I didn't realize how diverse that it was until I left and went to the University of Florida. And when I went to UF, I went, wow, this place is white. And I remember going to my English 101 class. And my English 101 class, for some reason, was different. It was about 75% black in my class. And basically, the assignment was to talk about something that, you know, you write a paper that's something about that you believe wholeheartedly that may be a little bit argumentative and persuasive in your paper. And I remember writing a paper on this. And I want you to hear me before you, you judge, is I wrote on the fact that why affirmative action should be abolished. See, the reason I believed that was this. I believed that, one, it was comparing apples to apples. Two, I had some friends not get into UF, and my first response was, well, it's because of affirmative action. And I gave this presentation in front of a class that was 75% black. And I remember giving the presentation and my English teacher just looking at me with disbelief as I was saying that. But none of my arguments were racist. All of my arguments were based off what I believed was fair. See, what I learned from this is that entire situation was this. I had acquaintances that were black. I did not have friends that were black. Because if I had friends that were black, they would help me help me understand what affirmative action was about. It would help me understand that it's not comparing apples to apples, it's comparing apples to oranges. How the fact that the school that some of these people have grown up in uh, was not the same. They didn't have the same access to good teachers. In fact, they didn't even have the same access to honor classes or AP classes, so it was impossible for them to raise their GPA to the same level that I had. In fact, we had ACT and SAT prep classes at our school. They didn't have any of those. Not to mention the home environment, the nutrition, and all these different things that people who grow up in less situations have. See, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand the idea of affirmative action was we believe this person will do just as well or better if they are given, given the same possibilities as this other person. You see, none of that came out of a racist intent. All of it came out of actually me believing somebody was wronged. But what I understood in those later moments was I didn't understand what I needed to. I never had the real conversations with those around me that I needed to have. See, the right response many times has been, you don't understand, I'm not racist. I'm colorblind. You know, I don't see color. And that's not the right response at all. In fact, the idea behind God making us all different and unique was that we're supposed to celebrate that. We're supposed to see those differences. But many times it's those differences that cause us to misunderstand what else is going on. I mean, this is something that goes across everything. Let me just say this. When you get married, you will find out your spouse is unique and different. And there are differences you didn't realize. And your ability to have a good marriage is your ability to see those differences as something that brings something to you, not something that subtracts from you. It's important to see that. And I hear people say, well, look at kids. Look at kids. They don't see color. Yes, they do. Walk around with one through the store. They will point out every different color of person, every person that looks different, every person that looks or has a disability. In fact, I mean, if you walk through Walmart with a kid, they'll be like, why does that person have crutches? Why is that person in a wheelchair? You're like, shut up, eat this. But here's the deal. They notice differences, but they don't have prejudice. See, the problem becomes is when we see those differences and we add a prejudice to it. 
See, we add prejudice over time. Some of it is through our parents. Some of it is through just our natural life. But what we have to do is see difference, get rid of the prejudice and understand the uniqueness and see how it adds to our life. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is an incredible verse on this. This is God talking to Samuel. He says, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. This is who Samuel was going to anoint as king. He says, the Lord doesn't see the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So how do we get to the point where we start, stop judging and start listening? How do we get to the part where we see differences and we're okay with that, but we understand maybe we have something to learn? James 1.19 is a verse that is about racism and how we should respond to racism, but it's about every other thing that we respond to in our lives. And hear this, James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. See, we must all become incredible listeners. You will never learn from someone if you allow your first response or your first reaction to stop a conversation. See, we need to have conversations, not arguments. If, we, if all of our conversations are turned into arguments where we are trying to win, the truth will never win out. If our goal is to hear, get our points heard, the truth will never win out. We have to pay attention to what we're listening to and we have to listen to the right sources. See, that's the problem with racism in America is the sources that we listen to are not the sources we should. See, the sources that we listen to give right off the bat ideas of what we should believe. And it's the news. It's the media. We've got to be very careful when we watch the news and media and realize that the news and media, the importance of the news and media, what they're not trying to do is get us to the truth. What they are trying to do is to get us to watch. And not only that, many news stations are just trying to help us confirm a bias we already have. And if they confirm our bias, we will continue to listen to what they have to say. See, one of the most dangerous things we can do is watch the news and automatically, just from hearing one piece of news, decide what the truth actually is. See, what we have to be able to do is take a step back and realize that many times what we believe is right may be right, but it also means that this could be right also. There are things that are true, but that doesn't always mean that the entire line of thinking is true. There can be both and. Here's what I mean by that. A black man can commit a crime and not be murdered. Or a black man can commit a crime and not have to be, have the idea that he could be killed. And, and here's why I say that. When what happened to Ahmaud Arbery, which he didn't even commit a crime, but what happened to George Floyd, I, I hear, see posts on Facebook where people say, hey, here's the easy deal. Don't commit a crime. We'll tell that to Breonna Taylor. You know, tell that to those that were, that were gunned down that never committed the crime. And I, on top of that, I want to say, well, have you ever been pulled over by the police? Have you ever gotten a ticket? Have you ever done anything slightly wrong? See, it can be both be true. And so many times, here's what I see. I see people say, well, he died, but you know what? He was also doing this. As if a simple crime means someone should die. That's not true. I mean, here's another one. A cop can be racist, but cops are not. Yes, there can be some racist cops, but at cops as a whole don't have to be racist. This is something that can go to so many things. See, you can support racial reconciliation and be conservative. 
And you can be a pro-life person and be liberal. See, we've had this idea, and this is what politics tends to do. It tends to put us in two different corners and say, you must follow all these things. Rarely do I believe in everything a politician stands for. In fact, I would say I've never believed in everything a politician has stood for. But that's what our political system has said. We have to be okay as Christians to go, I can believe in this, but also believe in this. I can see the importance of this, but also believe that this is absolutely wrong. See, political parties like to write narratives. It's our job as Christians to decide not to believe them and decide on our own what it means to be a Christian. I'll tell you one right off the bat. A narrative that I did not understand at all was Black Lives Matter. Just in all honesty, when Black Lives Matter first came out, I was like, I, I fell on the bad bandwagon of, well, Blue Lives Matter too. Because you do. You see cops, I'm like, man, cops have to go into hard situations, scary situations on a regular basis, which is also the reason why I believe they need a lot more training and a lot more resources to be able to do that. But when I heard Black Lives Matter, here's what I thought, and it's what you see other people think. Oh, they're saying Black Lives Matter more than. That's not at all what the movement is about. Let me help you understand this. Those of you who still don't understand this, Black Lives Matter does not mean they matter anymore. They're saying Black Lives Matter in a state, in a place of the United States where there has been systemic racism, where there has been a, a regular amount of police violence on black people. They're reminding everybody and reminding everybody that black lives matter just as much as white lives. Black lives matter just as much as white lives. In front of the police, in front of the judge, in jails, black lives matter just as much as white lives matter too. But what happened was I was so quick when I saw the news story, I didn't even look into it, to readily assume that they were saying they matter more. See, black lives can absolutely matter and I can absolutely care about other people too. See, black lives matter because all lives matter. See, another side of that that I want to explain is this. And this is a word that's being thrown around and sometimes used as a four-letter word. And I want to change the meaning of it or actually give you the actual meaning. And that's the word privilege. I see the word privilege being thrown around. I see it uh, as something that people say they're supposed to be ashamed of. But I believe the, the, the biblical response to privilege is very different. See, I don't see privilege as something anyone should be ashamed of, anyone should need to repent of. Here's what privilege is. It's the blessing that I've received on my life that I can use to bless others. I think that's the biblical idea of privilege. I've received this much blessing in my life, this much opportunity, so I'm going to use it to bless others. See, privilege is just realizing that the way I grew up, other people didn't have the same possibilities. And just by admitting that I have privilege, it's not admitting that I didn't have any problems in my life because I absolutely did. It didn't mean that I didn't have to fight for things because I absolutely have to. It just means that I have opportunities other people don't. Here's how it plays out. When we foster, we have the ability to help others out. Because we have the house that we were able to get, we can take in more foster kids. Because we have the network that we do, whenever our foster moms need things, Chrissy literally just throws it out on social media and we're able to do stuff. I mean, we've been able to help furnish several of our foster mom's houses with stuff that they need in order to get their kids back. 
I mean, we've been able to help people find jobs and meet people that can help them get to their next step and find educational programs. Why? Because we've been blessed to know those people. And because of that blessing, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to take that blessing and help others. I mean, look at the entire book of Acts, which we've been talking about. What do we see over and over? They sold the things that they own and they helped the other people out. They helped reach out and bring people up. Here's what privilege is. It's my opportunity to reach down and pull somebody up who hasn't had the same privilege. And here's what white privilege is. It's just the fact that I haven't had to deal with what a black person has to deal with on a daily basis when it comes to police and racism in America. Here's what white privilege is. I didn't have to deal with the racism that happens in America. Guys, privilege isn't something that we need to sit back and feel bad about. Privilege is something that we need to understand and help others in. See, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And in that time, we can understand what people are actually saying, not what we think they are saying. And then the last part of that verse is important. It says, you need to be slow to anger. And being slow to anger is not just about not saying dumb things. Being slow to anger is not just about keeping yourself from hurting other people or doing things that you're going to regret later. The reason we are slow to anger is so that our reason for anger becomes apparent, becomes true, becomes real. See, it's not that we want to be angry. It's that we want to have a righteous anger. See, anger destroys, a righteous anger rebuilds. Anger brings down, a righteous anger fights through to do the right thing. See, we need a righteous anger when it comes to racism because when things get hard or people talk back at us and say the wrong things, we need to have the ability to fight through because we understand what we're fighting for matters. See, we need a righteous anger because just saying, I am non-racist is not the goal. We must be anti-racist. See, as Christians, we must fight not only for ourselves to be non-racist, but for others around us to have that same quality. Anger will fall short in that righteous anger will continue through because it sees the purpose, the godly purpose behind it to bring dignity to all. Now, white people, I need you to understand this. You didn't start this problem, and it's not your fault, but now as Christians, it's your fight. It's not your fault, but it's your fight because as Christians, when we decide to become a Christian, it is our job to fight for those whose dignity has been taken away, for those who don't have the same shot, where people have decided to put others down just by the way they look and not who they are and the godly children that they are. See, as Christians, we have to do that. And here's where righteous anger forms. It happens when you lean in. It's when you lean in. I talked about this last week, learning. Look, we need to get around other people who understand this. White people, you need to get around black people who understand this and who will answer your questions. You need to listen to them and learn from them. On top of that, you should read and understand what's going on. A baseline book for understanding racism in America is a book called Under Our Skin by Benjamin Watson. 
Incredible book, very baseline. There's some that will go more into it. And then after you read that, you need to start understanding what's going on in our prison system and how it's turned into modern day slavery. What's happened even on our policing system and why black people are afraid of the police and what should happen there. What's happening in our foster care system and how it's a pipeline to our prison system. See, once you start to understand these things and see these things, that's when the righteous anger builds that allows you to do something and fight through for something that's more than just you. See, that's what happened with us in the foster care system. See, Chrissy got into uh, the prison system and started helping women at Hernando Correctional. And then you start to see how people end up in the prison system and you find out they know how many prison cells to build by the number of kids in foster care and the number of kids that can read in the third grade. And you realize how that's a pipeline there. And then when you look into it more, you realize that it's black boys that are not fostered. They're not adopted because they're seen as dangerous. And as we got further and further into that, our righteous anger grew in such a way that it caused us to foster and lean into this and bring other people into it. And let me help you understand this. You do not last in fostering unless you have a purpose to it. I'm not saying I don't love those kids. I'm not saying I don't love all the kids that come into my house, but parenting is hard and it's even tougher when you have kids that come in that have trauma and also knowing that they're gonna go back to their mom. But we have an understanding of what's going on. And what we're doing as a Christian is we're going to stand in the gap there. We're gonna stand in the gap and hopefully give some kids a less traumatic experience and prepare their parents and love on their parents in such a way that they can raise their kids in a godly home with opportunities they didn't have before. You know, I shared the story earlier of just talking about the affirmative action and the things that many times we have in our lives where we didn't realize they were racist. Let me just say this, part of reconciliation is repentance. It absolutely is. And let me just, if there is racism in your heart, if there's racist actions you have had, we need to repent of that. It's a sin, just like any other sin. It's something that we need to repent of. But what we cannot do and I talked about this last week, is sit in the guilt and shame. Black people do not need us to sit in guilt and shame. Black people need us to stand up next to them. See, what God says, I mean, it's the entire idea of the gospel is that when you bring sin to him, he gives us forgiveness and gets rid of guilt and shame. In fact, if you feel guilt and shame and it won't leave you, the reason you feel that way is because the enemy is trying to keep you down in that moment. We don't need you to feel guilt and shame. Yes, we need you to understand the importance of what has happened, what may be part you've played in it and fully get the idea and the weight of racism in this country, but we don't need you to sit in the guilt and shame of it. We need you to lock arms with others. Because we talked about this during the Acts series, it's the difference between Peter and Judas. Both Peter and Judas denied Christ. Both Peter and Judas basically left Christ or hurt Christ at a time that was most important. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Judas killed himself. Peter was the rock that the church was built on. He started the local church. Why? Because Judas took his sin to the grave. Peter took his sin to Christ. 
See, we need Christians to take our sins and what we've done to Christ and allow God to redeem it and use it to help others. Here's why God has to be in the, in the midst of this. It's because it's only through God that we have hope. See, hope is not found in new laws. In fact, laws don't change hearts. It changes policies, which are good, but it doesn't change hearts. Hearts can only change through Christ. See, that's why our hope is in Christ, because it's only through Christ that he changes hearts. It's only through Christ that racism is expelled from the church and those around it. See, it's hope that is found in Christ because it's that hope that we see when we realize we get rid of racism. We get to build what heaven will look like on this earth. See, we can talk about all kinds of things. And yes, man, there's government policies that need to change. There's systematic racism in so many places. But the place we must always start with is God. It's God. Because he is the only one who can deal with our sin. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for who you are. God, we thank you for what you've done. God, I pray that we continue to take next steps. God, I pray that we continue to have the conversation. I pray we continue to learn. God, I pray that this church as a whole, Grace Family Church and the exchange inside of it will be peacemakers, will be policy changers. God, but most of all, will be those that are not just non-racist, but are anti-racist to those around them. God, I pray you continue to start conversations among us that lead to healing, and change. God, we just thank you we have the opportunity to do that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.